Hello and welcome to the Stadium Sports Show. I'm your host, Robert Jeffrey, joined by co-host Sean Beanie. Sean, we're just going to dive right on into it today. A lot of news has occurred in the basketball world, specifically in college sports. Now, what has been a very good season for the University of Alabama men's basketball team has suddenly turned sour. Um, and the entire spotlight of college basketball has been on Tuscaloosa and not for good things. As everyone may know, on January 15th, Jamia Harris, a 23-year-old mother, was shot and killed by Michael Davis. Now, capital murder charges have also been placed on now former Alabama player Darius Miles, whose friend Davis did shoot and kill Jamia Harris. Also at the scene that night were current Alabama players Brandon Miller and Jaden Bradley. Now to preface this before I turn it over to you, Sean, at the time of the shooting, Darius Miles was a member of the University of Alabama basketball team. He has now since been kicked off of the team and is no longer at the university. Uh, he was kicked off from the university as well. Um, Sean, a lot has been going on, a lot of talk. What's your take on what the university should be doing and if Jaden Bradley and Brandon Miller should continue to be playing for the Crimson Tide this season. Yes. Um, and like you said, that's, uh, that is a absolute tragedy what happened on January 15th. And what we, we did learn some additional information this week that we did not know at the time of the murder. Um, Brandon Miller, um, teammate, former teammate, and friend of Darius Miles um, was reportedly the one who brought Darius Miles the gun, who he then handed it to um, Michael Davis that was used in the murder. Um, it was not Brandon Miller's gun. It was Darius Miles. Uh, it was Darius Miles' gun. Um, Brandon Miller reportedly received a text message that said, bring me my joint. Um, Miller, from what I understand, um, did had claims that he did not see that text message and that there uh, were plans to pick him up at that uh, location um, much prior to the altercation beginning. Um, but what we do know for a fact is that the gun was in the car that was brought to the scene of the murder, driven by Brandon Miller, and that gun was taken by um, by Darius Miles, handed to Michael Davis, and used in the murder. Um, now, uh, Brandon Miller and uh, his his teammate Bradley continued to play for Alabama and continue to start for Alabama. Uh, we have known that both Miller and Bradley were at the scene since the the um, the shooting took place. Um, but we just discovered this information about the gun this week on Tuesday. Um, since then, uh, actually since the time, no disciplinary action was taken um, by Alabama, by the university, nor the athletic department or coach Nate Oates to uh, no disciplinary action was taken on um uh Brandon Miller and uh Jaden Bradley 
And additionally, no no disciplinary action was taken on Brandon Miller since this new um, development. Brandon Miller went out his next game and dropped 41 points. Brandon Miller is projected to be a uh, lottery draft pick, uh, potentially number one overall draft pick, and currently plays on what was what we found out was was the committed when the NCAA the AA selection committee met this week. The projected number one overall seed, Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, now that's a lot to digest right there. Um, but we've had about a week to kind of wrap our heads around it. Rob, what are you thinking about this? So really, my biggest question over this whole thing is, why hasn't Alabama at least been transparent regarding this? Um, we have to remember this is this is not somebody got caught, um, let's say, using illegal substances. Um, or somebody was stealing something um, like we saw at UCLA with the Ball Brothers um, a couple of years ago. Um, but the biggest problem is, is where is the athletic department? Where is the coaching? Why isn't the administration of the university at a very bare minimum handling uh, and holding the accountability of, head co- of the head coach and the athletic director? Um, we have to remember at the time, of this shooting, there were three Alabama University basketball players that were at the shooting. Now, much more has come out um, about that, and Miles has been kicked off the team. Uh, I would certainly hope so, considering he has been charged with capital murder. Um, But nothing has occurred with Jaden Bradley or Brandon Miller, and there has been no talk of an internal investigation occurring uh, at the University of Alabama. So I have to ask, and Sean, if I'm going a little bit too far, feel free to, to interject, but I have to wonder, is the university not doing anything because of how well the basketball team has been performing this year? Historically, Alabama has not been a very strong basketball program. They've been known for football. And I would hate to speculate, given the fact that Brandon Miller is projected to be a lottery pick this year um, for the NBA that no action has been taken against them because Alabama is definitely on a pathway at this point in time to potentially be the national champion. Um, As you mentioned, they're probably going to be the number one overall seed. Now, I think one thing we do need to remember is that in the United States of America, you were innocent until proven guilty. Um, Brandon Miller has not been charged with anything. There's nothing, according to uh, Tuscaloosa Chief District Attorney Paula uh, Whitley, there is nothing that they could charge him with. However, just because you are not charged with a crime does not mean that you should not be punished, that your actions should are not warranted to be punished by the university or the, the athletic team that you are representing. Um, I, I am completely, um, I I guess, I guess I'm completely accepting the fact that, uh, Alabama has not gone to disciplinary actions for the actual, for actual Brandon Miller's involvement in the murder, um, because you cannot, and especially up to this time. Um, and same thing with Jaden Bradley. You could not prove that they had any um, any involvement or 
in the death of Jamia Harris. However, the the fact that Nate Oates and the athletic department continue to stand behind Miller is a little bit um, questionable, in my opinion, because we all know that when you, I mean, you and I were both um, college athletes. To say that there isn't some sort of rule out there that you could not be at the scene of a crime and in possession of a firearm that was then used to kill somebody, even if you're not charged in any involvement in a murder, to say that that does not violate some sort of team rule, that raises some questions to me. Um, shortly after the 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 police testimony on Tuesday that that released all of this was made public. Uh, Alabama coach Nate Oates said, and I quote, we knew about that um, it, in regards to Miller's involvement in um, Miller's involvement in the situation. Can't control everybody. Can't control everything everybody does outside of practice. Nobody knew that was going to happen. College kids are out. Brandon hasn't been in any type of trouble, nor has he nor is he in any type of trouble in this case. Uh, apologies for the grammar on that. Then I'm just reading what he said. Um, he's, he went on to say, Brandon was just in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Now this, he got a lot of flack for the, those comments. This is a lot more than wrong spot at the wrong time. Wrong place at the wrong time is you're at a party. Somebody gets into a fight and somebody ends up really hurt or somebody uh, you're you're out at a bar and there happens to be a shooting outside the bar and somebody ends up dead. This is not wrong spot at the wrong time. This is you went to a spot and because you were there, it became the wrong place and it became a wrong time. If Brandon Miller does not show up at that scene with that gun, that that place does not turn into a wrong place. He created the wrong place. I, I agree with you. Not, I think he himself, but he was a person who created a wrong spot. He was in he the created an unsafe environment. That's exactly what happened. Um, yes. And I think we have to go back to the, the main question is we've seen the NCAA and others uh, historically interact or interject into um, like what we would consider minor implications or my minor infractions, um, whether or not any NCAA rules were broken at the time, to your point, there definitely is some sort of institutional rule that is being broken. You know, there's some sort of code of conduct that's being broken. Um, and at the surface, you also have to protect the integrity of the university, given that there has been this, I would there's no other way to put it. This major crime. A crime has been committed. Now, Miller has not been charged with a crime, but the reputation of the school currently is they're not going to do anything with somebody who was at the scene and, as has been reported, brought a weapon, brought the murder weapon to the scene of which the crime had occurred. Um, I, I, I can appreciate 
Coach Oates defending his player, but the complete blatant disregard for the loss of life, given that the murder weapon was driven to the scene of the crime, is absolutely appalling. And I and I'm not. I don't pretend to be a lawyer. I don't pretend to be a police officer. I don't pretend to be an investigator. But there has to be something that ties that ties Brandon Miller to to this this murder. I'm not looking for it, but I'm just saying with everything that's been discussed publicly, um, there has to be something that dispels a lot of this in order for them to continue to defend Brandon Miller. Um, Correct. Correct. And 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 as I said, that I have no issue with Alabama not punishing him for involvement in in the murder case or criminal charges because you're innocent until proven guilty in my mind. But I I, I strongly feel that there was some sort of team rule or program rule violated in this. And that's what I would like to see some discipline in. Um, we see players all the time get suspended or punished for things far, far less than this. Well, how many times have we seen players get suspended for smoking? Johnny Manziel, Johnny Manziel, and this is a terrible example, but it's true. Johnny Manziel was suspended for what half of a game, half a game for signing autographs. This gentleman, hell, at BYU, they kicked off, they kicked off players at BYU for premarital sex. That's true. I, I mean, but that's a religious thing, and that's up to the university. But again, it's so. I think what we need to, well, what Alabama needs to prove here, is that if a non-student athlete were to be in the same situation, they would not take any disciplinary action. And also, what what Nate Oates needs to prove in this situation is that. Brandon Miller has not violated any team or athletic department rules. That's what we are missing right here. And that's the questions that we are asking. If they can prove that and they can clear this up, I'll, I'll back off on this. See, and the I, biggest problem I, I have, and this is just the reaction. I'll from handle you. it if, the, if they can prove that and they can show me that he's being treated like any other student, any other student athlete. And that he was, he did not violate any rules that uh, warrant some sort of punishment. The biggest problem I have is there seems to be a total lax relaxation of action by the university. Keep in mind, this murder took place on January 15th. We're recording this on Saturday, February 25th. So we're talking about over a month just to get to this point and we're finding this out the public's finding this out for the first time so i know that the media is very heated up over it i know that there's a lot of speculation and i but i hate to say it but rightfully so um there's been a total lack of transparency again we talk about it there was there was a a loss of life um, that occurred and a child is now motherless um because of the actions of michael davis uh, and Darius Miles, and now Brandon Miller has been roped into the center of this, and so naturally there's going to be a lot of questions um, that the university and the athletic department are going to have to answer for it. Yes, and and I'm sure this is not going to be the end of this conversation, no. um, so we will be revisiting this as more information comes out, um, but 
um, that was a topic that we did need to discuss. And uh, it was, it's unfortunate that we don't want to discuss those kind of things on this podcast, but I think it's something we did need to discuss and make people aware of the situation. But um, there are some uh, more college basketball things uh, as the uh, the end of the season is uh, is wrapping up and we are getting close to March Madness. Getting a little bit closer. Greatest time of the year. Greatest time of the year. Now, taking a look um, at most. Go ahead, Sean. Go ahead. No, no. We are starting to learn now as it gets closer some teams that we should watch out for uh, as the as conference tournaments uh, start to near and uh, the NCAA tournament um, kind of is just right around the corner, less than a month. So, what teams in your mind are some teams to watch out for that are that are heating up right now at this point in the season. Uh, some teams that maybe are, are flying a little under the radar that could make some noise in the conference tournament or in the NCAA tournament. So specifically for the conference tournament, I'm going to start off with the ACC. Um, <clears throat> the, one of the more dangerous teams that I am looking at um, is, and this is going to be a little bit unorthodox, but uh, Pittsburgh uh, is very intriguing to me. Um, Pittsburgh, you're going to be on the lookout for them because, A, not only do they have a very well-seasoned team, um, you look about you look at it, their average age, Sean, on their team is 24 years old. 24 years old. A lot of experience. Um, currently, the way it looks – for the ACC um, is they've got a couple games left against a couple, you know, very good opponents. Um, You know, Syracuse is in there. I don't think they're going to be, have any problem, unfortunately beating Syracuse. Um, The rest of their schedule is going to be in addition is Notre Dame in Miami. The Miami game is going to be very interesting because that could play a very pivotal role into where the ultimate seating is. Uh, for the ACC tournament, um, coming into that game, if they if Pitt be- beats both Notre Dame and Syracuse, um, Pitt is looking at having a record coming into the Miami game of twenty two and eight, twenty two and eight, um, which is very notable because if they win both of those games going into the Miami game, and Miami uh, loses to at least one of their games to other Florida State. Um, excuse me, they lose the game to Florida State. Um, Pitt will actually have control of the number one overall seed in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, Pitt right now is a half game back of Miami. Also is University of Virginia. They're also a half game back. Um, so I'd keep my eye on Pitt. Um, I also think that this is going to have major seeding implications. Pitt is having a great season, um, but that is going to be my number one team. It's not really a big dark horse. I just think people have forgotten about Pittsburgh, um, given how poorly they've played in the past. Um, Another team I just want to name in the ACC is Clemson. I don't know if anybody watched the the game against Syracuse earlier this week, but Clemson was absolutely on fire from three. It was the most impressive showing I've ever seen. Um, 
at least the first like, five minutes or so. Before that, the game before that, they got whipped by the Louisville Cardinals. Now, in most years, that's not that's not that's too not fun. yes that's not too concerning. But this year, Louisville um, is is absolutely. I mean, it's they're a laughing stock, <laughs> and so don't don't forget they did lose to Louisville. That's they almost did. grounds for just exclusion from the tournament as it is. If you lose, but they're so. but they're fourth in the ACC. They're a game and a half back. They finished their season up with uh, North Carolina State. Um, actually, that's going to be going off uh, today, um, or it just tipped off today. Uh, and then they play Virginia, and then they round it out with Notre Dame. So it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Uh, back to you, Sean. Who are your da- most dangerous teams? Yeah. So the first team I want to point out is it's it's not really a uh, too much of a of an underdog. Um, they are ranked uh, 13th in Kempom right now. Uh, the Baylor Bears. Um, but they are flying a little bit under the radar because, you know, they're, they're, you know, kind of in the upper middle of the pack in the big 12 and they, they're not on that one seed or two seed line right now. Um, but, uh, Baylor Scott drew knows how to coach in the NCAA tournament and in March he's won, uh, the, um, uh, he won the NCAA tournament uh, very recently um it, it just two years ago and Baylor has the metrics that are that could really do well in tournament time currently they ranked second in adjusted efficiency on offense um and they're uh they're shooting 36.6 percent from the, the three-point line good for 49th um in the country uh and that's remember out of 340 60 some odd teams um they're they like to run and gun it adjusted efficiency as we all know is a metric of uh points per uh per 100 possessions three-point percentages teams with high three-point percentages traditionally do very very well in the tournament because if they can get hot from three they, you know, you can go a long way. All we see all these giant killers when you know the 15, 16, 14 seeds that end up winning. Um, they win because they get hot from the three point line. If Baylor can stay hot from three, I think they could go a long way in March and possibly make a final four run. Now, they also play in the best conference in the country, possibly in, in the past decade. I mean, the, the the Big 12 is absolutely ridiculous this year. You can make an argument that every team in the Big 12 could get into the NCAA tournament, which would just be unprecedented. It's like quad one game after quad one game after quad one game. Kansas has, I believe, I think it's 16 quad one wins. It's, it's, it's insane. I mean, most Power 5 teams don't even have, or Power 6 now with the Big East, don't even have 16 quad one games on their season. And and they have and they're they have sixteen wins in in quad one, um it's it's oh I'm sorry it's not sixteen they have they have thirteen right now, um they have thirteen they're thirteen and five in quad one but that that's absolutely crazy the how good the Big Twelve is this year so Baylor is not going to be intimidated when it gets to that point where they're playing quality team after quality team after quality team because they have been tested uh game in and game out. Um, now, the other team 
that I'm really watching um, is uh, the Connecticut Huskies. Uh, Connecticut was started out the season really, really strong. Um, they rose to, I believe, fourth in the AP poll um, at the end of December. They were 14-0. Uh, then they lost uh, at Providence, uh, at Xavier, then at Providence. Uh, we all know Providence is a very, very tough place to play. Um, and it's also, I mean, Xavier is a great opponent as well. So you can't really knock them too much for that loss. Um, but uh, then they went on a little bit of a cold streak, uh, losing uh, three straight Marquette, St. John, Seton Hall, a couple of games after that. Um, so they, they kind of uh, went a little bit under the radar there for a bit. Um, but the majority of their losses are, are away losses. Um, and they, they never really got blown out in any of those, those losses. There were most of them were single, uh, single, almost single possession games, um, single digit games for the most part, um, with the exception of the Providence loss, um, which is one of the toughest places to play on the road. Um, but they're starting to make a little bit of a comeback right now. Um, they beat Providence at home. They beat Seton Hall at home. Lost a real, real close one at Creighton, who Creighton is also a very strong team lately. Beat Marquette at home. Um, beat Georgetown, which, nah, eh. and uh, beat DePaul um, in, in since, uh, since January 31st. They're starting to rise. And I, and I think that the Big East is a bit underrated this year. I think the Big East is the second best conference in college basketball right now behind, like I said, the Big 12. Um, and I think Connecticut has, has proven in, in years past that they can go very far in the tournament, um, different coach now, but, um, they, you know, uh, Danny Hurley, you know, knows how to coach in March. Um, and I, I think, uh, Connecticut has, has, they have the bigs, they have what it takes to be successful, um, in, uh, in, in a tournament type scenario. So those are my two teams to watch right now. I mean, we've said it a ton of times. There's been a ton of parity in college basketball this year. Um, so it's really anybody's game. I mean, we just saw it earlier this week as well. Boston College upset in Virginia. Nobody would have guessed that. Um, which also, to me at least, means that Virginia is probably out of that number one seed category. Um Told you. I, 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 you're right. Yeah, you're said, right. Well, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to do this one more shameless plug for the Patriot League. As I saw oh, on a projected bracket earlier this week, um, Virginia was listed as a three seed, um, which I thought was interesting. But they're listed as a three seed, and they will be playing up against Colgate in the opening round. To me, that's very interesting. Um, Colgate does have some interior size. They also shoot the lights out of the ball. So, um, I could see that one as a, a potential upset. All right, Rob. Well, before you get too into talking about Colgate and the Patriot league, uh, we got to take a quick break. Uh, so we will be right back and we will talk about some teams that, uh, on the opposite side of what we were talking about, are a bit on the bubble, um, or on the on the right, currently on the right side and the wrong side of the bubble, uh, heading into the critical point in the season. We'll be right back. Right, and we are back here on the Stadium Sports Show. 
Thanks, Sean, for stopping me on my uh, Colgate rant that I was about to get into. But uh, here for you. You do know we love that university. You, we do love that university from Hamilton, New York, 30 minutes north of me. Um, but, Sean, let's talk about these bubble teams. A lot of interesting decisions the committee is going to have to make. Usually it's 20 wins and you're in in the tournament. But given this season, it's anybody's guess. So, Sean, who are some bubble teams that come to your mind? Yeah, I think the biggest one right now is the North Carolina Tar Heels. I mean, they're um... – uh, they they have really disappointed this year. They're preseason number one. Uh, and currently they're 17 and 11, seventh in the Big East, uh, seventh in the ECC, I'm sorry. Um, and uh, lost their last two games uh, at NC State. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, they before they beat Notre Dame, lost two previous games at NC State and at home against Miami. Um, now, it, unfortunately for them, the ACC is very, very down this year. So they don't have that, um, those some of those quality wins to fall back upon. They do have a couple quality games remaining um, at home against Virginia, which would be a quad one win. But Virginia should be, uh, you know, pretty motivated coming off a surprising loss uh, to Boston College. Um, and then they do have uh, Duke to close out the season. Um, and then what they can do in the uh, the ACC tournament. I, but they're uh, right now definitely on the wrong side of the bubble. They're in Joe Lenardi's, uh uh, first four out right now. Um, so that will be a team to watch. It'll be the first uh, team since 1975 to uh, the 1975 NC State Wolfpack to be the preseason number one that then uh, fails to make the tournament the next year. Um, so that will be an interesting story to watch. I think um, See, uh, the, some of the other teams, in my, my next team in the first four out, um, it's got to be Clemson after their loss to Louisville. I think they dropped that loss to Louisville, regardless of what they did against Syracuse, because we all know Syracuse is not a real quality win right now. Um, the That loss to Louisville put them in, I think, from the last four buys to the first four out. Um, and even though, you know, they're they're at the top part of the uh, the ACC right now, um, that uh, some, some of these bad losses are really going to hurt them. Uh, and they've been trending in the wrong direction, really, this whole second half of the season. Um, additionally, um, Michigan, um, I think, I think, I think Mich uh, Michigan is also in the next four out. They, um, unfortunately the big 10 is not what it was supposed to be this year. Um, and, uh, they have, they, they don't, I, I don't think that they have the resume, um, right now to be in the tournament that can change. Um, but right now I think they're all, they are on the wrong side of the bubble. And my last, uh, last team out is, uh, Texas tech. Um, they have had some great wins of late, um, but they really dug themselves into a hole to start the season. Um, and, uh, well, they do have a chance to pad their resume a little bit. Um, the big, the big 12 is tough. Um, there's, you know, they, they have, there's a high ceiling um there because you know some of those teams are tough uh to get some quality wins but there's definitely it's definitely going to be an uphill battle for them um now that my last four in um I, i'm gonna go with west virginia um they've been streaky but i think that, that they can that huggy bear can uh can pull them out in the last uh the, the last stretch of the season and make a run into the tournament um 
I think USC is the team to watch. It'll be the last last four, and they've been playing well lately. Um, Memphis, I think they have a chance uh, if they don't, assuming that they take care of business, uh, aside from Houston in the American tournament, in the American Conference tournament. I think they're in, um, barring any, because with any American, you have an opportunity for for some easy wins, but also some bad losses. So assuming that they keep the path that they're on, I think they're in. And um, I also think uh, that uh, Penn State has uh, has kind of played their way in recently. Um, they've they, they've had some good good games of late. Just beat Ohio State at home, which is right now, I guess, still a quality win. But Ohio State is reeling, um, so that could change. Um, so that's my bubble. My uh, my last four ins: uh, Penn State, USC, uh, Memphis, and West Virginia. And first four out has got to be uh, North Carolina, Clemson, Texas Tech, and Michigan. How about you? So I agree with you on, on on a couple of those teams. I think Texas Tech is very just very tough conference, and they've gotten some quality wins, but their in conference record has not been that great. They're currently five and ten. Um, ultimately, it's going to take a miracle for them to get into the tournament. Um, I think so. They'll be one of my first four teams out. Unfortunately, despite how well that conference has played this year. Um, no, I mean they they started out the conference with uh, eight straight losses. And yeah. and it's tough to come back from that, especially in the conference like the Big Twelve. So, in, unless they and and the the Big Twelve conference tournament is going to be absolutely just ruthless, uh, especially the event will be on the the lower end of the conference, mm-hmm. uh, lower seed. Um, so barring some sort of some huge upsets, I think they're on the wrong side of the bubble. UNC's got to have a, a big showing today against Virginia, and then they've got to have go on a run in the ACC tournament um, to right the ship. So I think they are they too are going to be out, um, despite how shaky Virginia does look. Um, I just think it's going to be a tough a tough task for UNC. So I think unfortunately they're out. Um, a couple interesting teams from the Big Ten um, conference, and I don't know in which order, but I think Michigan's on the bubble. Michigan State's also going to be on the bubble. Um, again, that's just my thoughts. Michigan, they're 16 and 12. They've got a bet a good in-conference record, um, especially how tough that conference has been, you know, with Purdue, uh, Northwestern, Maryland, um, Indiana, Illinois. Um, but just below them in conference is Michigan State. They're nine and seven. Um, you know, I was, I was nine and eight in conference, but they've got a record of 17 and 11, uh, Rutgers, this is going to be tough at 17 and 11, but, um, ultimately I think just based on their overall record, um, and the fact that they, they're, they're struggling to win away games. Um, I think they're on the bubble. Um, I think Michigan state's also going to be on the bubble, um, again, for the exact same reason. And then, uh, Penn state and Wisconsin are both going to be on the bubble. Um, Penn state's been killing it at home. They're 12 and two, um, but their away record, they're three and seven, and they've got a sub 500 record in conference play. Um, so despite how good their records are of 17 and 11, 16, 11, respectfully, um, they're in a tough spot. And again, despite how well the big 10 has been this year, just overall competitiveness, it's going to be a toss up. Um, 
a couple teams that I think can probably squeak their way into the tournament is Wake Forest. Um, potentially, if they have a good showing again to the end of the season, they're going to be closing out against Notre Dame, Boston College, and Syracuse. And currently, if you take a look at their standings, they're right in the middle. And I think all three of those games that they have left are winnable games. So I'll put them in a record of 20 and 11 uh, if they win all three. And they'd be uh, they'd be tied for sixth in the ACC uh, conference. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens down the stretch. Um, I think Clemson, even though they did lose to Boston College earlier this week, um, I think they're going to get in just again. They've got a 12 and five record in conference. They've got an overall record of 20 and eight. Um, and if NC state and Duke are going to get in the tournament, you've definitely got to include Clemson. Um, but I think wake forest is a bubble team. I think they'll get in. They've got an easier schedule um, heading into the ACC tournament um, compared to UNC who's, They've got a lot of ground to work up. I mean, they've got Virginia, they've got Florida State, and then they close it out with Duke. Um, they very well could go one and two, and, and that's that's it. So um, those are a couple of my bubble teams that we're looking at. Uh, all right, Sean, we're going to take a little bit of a break here on the Stadium Sports Show. We'll be right back. We're going to come into a Mount Rushmore draft to March things, and then we'll close it out with uh, our Syracuse exclusive. So we'll be right back. Stick around. This is the Stadium Sports Show. And we're back here. So, Sean, uh, Mount Rushmore of March things. March is yeah, this here. Is our, this is our last show of February. Uh, we got March right around the corner. We all know it's a great month. Uh, so uh, we are going to draft our Mount Rushmore of all things March. Now this can be anything March doesn't need to be sports related. doesn't need to be college basketball related. All things March There's a lot going on in March. So I want to, we, we, I, I want to see what your top things in March are, Robert. Um, so why don't you kick us off since I'm going to have you kick us off because we all know that your birthday is in March and no, you cannot draft your birthday. Uh, I'm not going to. So. So the uh, the the the, bir- the March birthday boy is going to kick off our uh, Mount Rushmore draft of all things March. Well, I think there's a clear number one draft pick here. Uh, the number one draft choice is probably unanimous. The uh, best thing in March about March is St. Patrick's Day. Um, who doesn't love all the St. Patrick's Day festivities? The corned beef, the cabbage, the Irish music. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, beautiful time, beautiful time. Coming from the uh, the uh, the Irishman Robert Jeffrey, who used to uh, sing and dance along to Irish jingles um, in college. In our- I'm not ashamed of it. Not ashamed of it at all. It's a beautiful I, I, thing. Being, being your roommate, I am ashamed of it. So, <laughs> so over yeah, to you, yeah, Sean. For those of you who who don't know, um, yeah, Robert and I were roommates in college, and he. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did enjoy his Irish music, especially in the, the month of March was a tough time for 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 me. So, um, yes. But okay, my first pick of the uh, the, the draft, the best things of March draft, is uh, I think this is a pretty obvious choice: March Madness. It's, it's a good choice. I mean, the that first Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of of the. The, of the March Madness um, slate, it's it's 
it's something. I mean, it's those are some great days, some great games. I mean, I, I not nothing really beats it from a sports aspect of it. Um, so that's going to be my first pick of the uh, the all things March draft. Good pick, very good pick. Um, I know that this can be enjoyed year round, um, but I'm going to say that uh, that uh, fish fries. Big thing in March. A lot of a lot of fish fries going on for those Christians and Catholics during the season of Lent. So big fish fry guy on Fridays. So I'm going to take that as my number two pick. Now, remember, though, Lent is not always in March, though. Most of the time it is. It'll clip it. It'll clip it. it it'll clip it. Ooh, OK. So for my second pick of the all things March draft. I am going to choose. MLB spring training. Spring training kind of kicks off in in March. Um, we've all we've all missed baseball since uh, the beginning of November, and uh, it's starting to heat up. You start reading some stories about things going on in the in the baseball world, and uh, in uh, some you know guys are starting to to throw again, hit again. There's there's balls being hit and pitches being thrown. Um, so it's uh, just good vibes. Good vibes. So you 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 did overlook something. Um, doesn't always happen in March, but this year it does. Um, I think the most exciting part of March, aside from the NCAA tournament, is going to be opening day of Major League Baseball. That's actually mm -hmm. on March 30th this year. Um, very excited about that. Um, let's consider a, a nice birthday present for me. So opening day, Major League Baseball, that's my third pick. Okay. Well, you 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 stole my St. Patrick's Day one because that was going to be my number two. I had to go with uh, with March. I was going to go with March Madness number one anyway, but I, had, I was going to go with St. Patrick's Day number two. What who 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 who? My third pick is going to be. Ooh, this is this is a tough one. You 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 left me stumped here. Left me stumped here. Uh, my third pick is going to be Irish music. Dang, you took my fourth pick, but good try. Good, I'm good not job. Going St. Patrick's Day. I'm not going St. Patrick's Day music. I'm going Irish music in general. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be my third pick. So here's my fourth pick, and this is a gamble because I, I thought about a couple different options here. But you only usually eat this once a year, usually during the month of March. Um, Hence, because it's usually uh, related to the the St. Patrick's Day holiday, um, going to say corned beef and corned beef. Period. That's it. Corned beef. Period is a great March March food. Um, you usually only eat it once a year, like I said, and it's usually during the month of March. But if you eat outside of that time, you're a lucky dog. So that's my fourth pick: corned beef. And my fourth pick is going to be. Guinness, because who doesn't like a nice Guinness in March? Good, who who, who can celebrate St. Patrick's Day and not have a nice, tall, 
cold glass of Guinness in their hand. It just tastes different in March. I'm gonna you know, say, I think your your team beats my team. <laughs> I, I, I like a nice, I you know, I like a nice craft beer. I'm a good, I'm a big craft beer guy, but nothing beats a March Guinness when you're out at a, a little Irish pub enjoying some corned beef and cabbage, and uh, listening to some Irish music. So I've got to go with Guinness for my my fourth pick. I thought about green clothes as too. You don't usually see green clothes outside of the month of March. You know, like the you know like. The nice brighter green, you know, like not like the dark green, but like a brighter green. Um, I'm just thinking about that. Big I also thought about that. leprechauns too. Leprechauns are a good one too. Uh, I thought that, usually... I thought that I thought that might be not not politically correct though. That not politically correct leprechauns. It's true. Uh, gold at the end of the rainbow, you know, the pot of gold. That's that's a pretty. I don't know what's I don't know what's thing. PC or not in the world these days. So I just I, I shied away from that one. But. That that's our Mount Rushmore draft of all things March. Uh, pretty solid. I think we kind of we, we were scraping the bottom of the barrel there for a little bit, but uh, I think it came out pretty well. Yeah, when but, I when I first thought of this topic, I was like, oh, this is going to be easy because the first thing that came to my mind were you know March Madness and uh, St. Patrick's Day and MLB starting up, but and and then uh, but but it definitely bottoms out quickly. I learned it definitely, yeah. So a little bit of a shocker, a little bit of a shocker there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna take a quick break, and uh, we will be back for anybody who wants to stick around for our Syracuse exclusive segment that we are doing after every show. Uh, for those of you so inclined in the uh, Central New York area, or if you're just looking to. Uh, hear a little bit more about what's going on in uh, the Cuse world. Um, so for those of you who are going to uh, drop uh, and not listen to the Syracuse uh, exclusive, well, um, you know, you're missing out. But we want to thank you for joining in. And uh, for those of you who want to stick around, uh, we will uh, we will be right back. And we're back here on the Stadium Sports Show, taking off the Syracuse exclusive segment, um, seeing what is going on in the world of Orange basketball, and frankly, Sean, what in the world is going on with Orange basketball? Um, they suffered that big loss to Duke last week. wasn't even a game. You and I were both in in the dome for that, and then uh, they seemed to drop the ball against Clemson earlier this week, and. Uh, any hope of them potentially even trying to get a run in the ACC tournament is totally gone. Um, not only that, their chance at an NIT berth, I can't believe we're talking about this, the possibility of them making the NIT tournament is in grave, grave danger. It's rough out here, man. It's rough. I mean, so, the, 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 how how far this program has sunk in the past eight years is just it's depressing, and I I think the 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 most depressing and scary part about it is that Jim Beheim and the rest of the athletic department seem to be lowering their standards. It's, it came out this past week that Syracuse um, is fourth in attendance which you know by by most team standards is i mean to be fourth among 360 some odd college basketball teams is excellent 
Um, however, this would be the first time that they have not been in the top three since I believe, was it like 2000? I, I, give me, 2008 maybe, give me those those dates. But, um, and they, when, when asked about this, Bayheim said, well, you know, any team, pretty much any team would, you know, kill to have, uh, have our sort of attendance. Um, and to be in the top four is, you know, nothing to, to, you know, be ashamed of. Well, when you're consistently number one or number two, it's, I mean, it's generally been number one or number two with you in Kentucky um, for, you know, years and years and years. And now you're saying, oh, well, being in the top four is okay. And aside from the attendance aspect, the performance aspect of it, Beheim, you know, he has transitioned from, the, you know, where the expectation was to get, you know, a top three, four seed in the tournament. Then it turned into, well, you know, what only matters is what you do in the tournament. Um, that was when they were having those years where they were, you know, kind of on the bubble. Um, and he was saying, well, you know, it doesn't matter how you do in the regular season as long. What matters is because regular season gets you ready for the tournament. Uh, what matters is how you do in the tournament. Um, so it went the the expectation went from being and the standard went from being a top seed to then getting into the tournament and then doing well in the tournament. And then this year, he said that the expectation was that he he expects to get into the tournament. And, and now it's kind of transitioning into, well, just getting into the tournament is, you know, any team that gets into the, the tournament is a successful team. So you can see that over the years, the standard has slowly dropped. It's almost like Beheim is trying to justify the gradual drop in performance that this program has seen over the past decade. I think the biggest thing is, is they're just not exciting. I think there's only probably one player on the current team that is exciting to go see. And uh, that's Judah Mintz. Um, no disrespect to anybody else. Um, but Judah has been absolutely incredible to watch. He's very fun to, to watch and is a very fun player. And, if he stays one more year, he's going to go to the draft. He will not be a lottery pick, but he will be a first-round draft pick, um, which is pretty considerable considering his size and uh, how well he has played just as a freshman. Um, I think the biggest thing that's hurt Syracuse is they tried to play the one-and-done game. They were very successful, you know, at it in the you know the the late they're the early 2010s. Um, you know, you get the Michael Carter Williamses of the world. You've got uh, Tyler Ennis's of the world. Great college players, um, but they never panned out to be anything in the in the NBA. Um, you have Jeremy Grant, great player right now for the Portland Trailblazers as well, um, among others. But you kind of played around in that game and it didn't really pan out. Now you're you've gone away from that and you're looking for more players that are you know four year players. Um, I don't know if it's just because he can't recruit. I, I tend to think that's exactly what it is. I think the departure of Mike Hopkins has something to do with that as well. Um, but then again, he's not doing that that hot over in Washington either. Um, but nonetheless, I think a lot of the questions in Syracuse's mind is, is he going? How long is Bayheim going to stay for? Um, that's. 
That's the biggest question. When there were rumors that he was going to be leaving after the 2015 season, um, I think a lot of people said, well, it's too early. Um, and then they went on some, you know, tournament round in 16. Um, and then now you're looking at it in 2023, and now you're almost saying, is it too late for him to leave? Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting. One thing well, I do want to note before I flip it back to you, Sean, is – he had mentioned uh, earlier this week on a radio show that he is has been contacted and is expecting to receive seven to eight transfers to Syracuse. Um, there's not seven or eight seniors on this team, so that means to tell me that he's expecting to lose some people to the transfer portal. Um, we are we all know Jesse's probably not going to come back, even though he's got an extra year of eligibility. And Joe is probably not going to come back. He may he may just graduate. Um, but we need to make sure that these aren't just seven to eight transfers that are low to mid-major level. They have to be quality recruits. Um, they just picked up a commitment from the class of 2023 with, a, I believe it's a seven-foot-two guard, uh, seven-foot-two seven foot center from out of Brooklyn. Um, but... His stats don't seem to be overly um, overly glaring at he's a great rim protector or a good post player. Uh, I think this is going to be another project at the center position, and then it'll take three years, and it'll turn out to be something like, Jenny, like Jesse Edwards is currently. So Syracuse basketball at this point in time seems to be in a little bit of a uh, topsy-turvy world, and at least from my projections, I don't think they're going to be making the NCAA NCAA tournament for a little while. No, and, and I think um, you pointed something out earlier there um, the, about the quality of players that have have kind of um, we haven't seen the quality of players that we saw, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, you, we're used to seeing guys like, you know, we, we've had, you know, Johnny Flynn's and Tyler Ennis's, Michael Carter Williams, and, you know, some of these really elite studs um in the game and from 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 my take on this is that the type of athlete that is successful in basketball and especially college basketball these days is not the same type of athlete that it was 10 or 15 years ago and i think this goes back to the point of Bayheim's inability to adjust he has not been able to he, he thinks that recruiting those same style guys are going to lead to the same type of success over and over again. Things change. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Okay. If it hasn't been working in recent years, you got to change. You got to evolve with the time. And I think that's Bayheim has, it has been proven, not proven, but it has been indicated of Bayheim's inability to change. Now, everyone says Bayheim has the right to coach as long as he wants to. He has earned that right. Now, but how long, how long do you, how long does that right last? Because you have to think, if you're the CEO of a company, and you've had great success over 40 years. 
and you tend to end, you have a year or two or three of down years where you're losing some money, they're going to cut you some slack because of 40 years of success. But when that turns into 10 years of, of poor performance, losing money, the shareholders are going to start to call for some change. Now you're starting to see attendance decline. And, and I went back and checked, and it was 2002, the last time Syracuse did not finish in the top three in attendance. 2002, 21 years ago. You're starting, you're starting to see not as many butts in the seats. You're starting to see not as many people caring about Syracuse basketball. And that's a problem that the athletic department needs to address. Sean, just to comment on that, when we were at the game last weekend, I don't know if it was just me, and I'm going to ask you about this after, but I didn't feel like there were many fans that were engaged um, in the actual game. And Well, you have you have to think because there was a blowout. I mean, they're not going to be engaged. Well, even the first 10 minutes, even the first 10 minutes when it was potentially going to be a game, I mean, Duke and Syracuse. Because the stakes weren't as high. Back. The stakes aren't yes. as high as it was, you know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, when when this would have been a top 10 battle, top 15 battle. Um, and it's getting to that point where the, the fans are starting to be disengaged because the games don't mean as much anymore. And the athletic department, um, unfortunately, does not seem as concerned about that. They seem more concerned about honoring their longtime coach and making him some sort of figurehead and keeping, you know, keeping his, his stature than they are about success in in the sport. And that's concerning to me as a fan of Syracuse Athletics. Sometimes I wonder if they'd be better in the Big East, um, potentially. Just they'd be, maybe they'd be able to keep their ranking high. I mean, you're looking at Providence. You're looking at uh, UConn currently. Um, overall, they're a better conference this year. We'll see if they're a better conference next year. Um, but well, you know that, they didn't that, leave the Big East because of basketball. They left the Big East because no, of basketball. correct. But uh, I, I, and and I don't think that leaving the Big East has anything to do with their basketball uh, lack of success because you saw their first couple of years in the ACC. That first year in the ACC, they started off twenty one and zero. Um, that and that was you know, you know they were a number one seed that year, um, and favorite to to kind of win the tournament. Um, the, you know their first two three years in the ACC were excellent. And then the decline started. I think it's just a transition to the ACC corresponded time-wise with Bayheim's um, decline as as a coach and his uh, lack of inability to evolve. Well, I think that's all that has to be said on this. Now we just yeah. hope and pray that Syracuse somehow, some way, makes the NIT. Because if not, that would be two consecutive years of not making a major major postseason tournament, um, which would be disastrous for the program and uh, be disastrous for the university as well. Yep, so, it'll be interesting to see what comes at the end of the season. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking more about this, and uh, we will talk a bit uh, bit longer about this in the, uh, in the future um, when we have a little bit more time and there's not so much other uh, stuff going on in, in the world of college basketball. But, um, yeah, well, uh, this is a good one, Rob. Uh, it's good to talk to you, and uh, we'll uh, we'll recap again next week. This is the Stadium Sports Show. Thank you for tuning in. For Robert Jeffrey and Sean Beanie, thank you again. We'll see you all next week. We out.